When I was a kid, I loved to read a certain crazy humorous publication, and this cartoonish face always appeared on its covers. His name is Alfred E. Newman. He's synonymous with Mad Magazine. He also had an expression which was, what me worry? The inference is that this guy didn't have a care in the world, and he refused to have one. And as kids reading that humorous magazine, most of us were the same. We didn't have any worries either. But as we grew up, things didn't stay the same. So what me worry morphed into, yes, I do worry. And we started worrying a little bit about this and a little bit about that. And slowly, worry became a byproduct of growing up in responsibility, an annoying, problematic byproduct at times for us as adults. And God's response to the worry wart that rises up in us from time to time is this. Hey, I want to let you in on something. Don't worry. Seriously. Don't worry about your life. How you'll pay the bills. Or what you'll be putting on the table for dinner. Just look at the birds. They don't do nine to five. They don't shop. And they don't save for a rainy day. And yet, God feeds them. No offense to the birds, but you are so much more valuable than them. Besides, who of us by worrying will actually live longer? The whole world chases these things, and your Father knows you need them. So follow Him, and all these things will follow. So don't worry. It's going to work out. That, of course, comes from the Bible in Matthew's 6th chapter, verses 25 through 34. And we're going to look at some new ways of understanding that today through the very true story of a man named Buddy Owens. Started for Buddy on September 9th, 2002, a Tuesday morning, when the demolition crew showed up to his house and started tearing it apart. That was planned. It wasn't one of those kind of accidental show-up things, but it was something he and his family had planned. They dreamed about for quite a while, for years actually, 10 years after they bought their house. And so these guys showed up. The walls came down. The sky was opened up uh, through the roof, and the kitchen was torn out. It was thrown in the front yard. The living room, dining rooms, and kitchens were all just reduced to studs and concrete. They still had their bedrooms and bathrooms, and that's where they were going to stay during all the rest of the house being put back together. But at the end of the day, Buddy and his family looked out in the front yard at all these dumpsters full of stuff that used to be their house, and they thought, isn't it amazing how long it takes to build something, but how quickly you can tear something apart, whether it's a building or an idea or a life. Now, September 9th was a historic day for the Owens family because from the beginning, it was going to be a new way to live in their new house, something they've been looking forward to for so long. It's finally coming true. That was September 9th. Exactly seven days later, Buddy Owens lost his job. Fifteen years of service was gone in an instant. Again, it's amazing how quickly you can tear something apart. Because the company he was with went through a financial crisis. Leadership decided they needed to make a change in the business model. And so they shut down two divisions of the company, laid off three vice presidents, of which Buddy was one. In their mercy, they said, however, you don't have to leave today. You don't have to walk out the door now. This was September 16th. But on December 31st, at the end of the year, we have to make this change. But he said as he sat there getting the news, thinking about the condition of his house, his wife, his four kids, what their future looked like, he had an amazing sense of peace and anticipation. 
He said, I believe that God was somehow involved in what was going on because I'd learned years before that God never ever is surprised by anything that happens. So Buddy made a choice. He was going to trust God, just follow him into this whole thing. And so as Buddy sat there in the company president's office with the owner, and they're telling him all the reasons for this change, he did what most males do. He stopped listening. Any ladies recognize that? Because Buddy said, these other words came flooding into my mind at that moment. Something he'd read from My Utmost First Highest, A Daily Devotion by Oswald Chambers. It said, if you yourself do not cut the rope that keeps you tied to the dock, God just might send you a storm and set you out to sea. So be careful never to look back on what you once were when God wants you to become something you've never been. And those words Buddy said were so loud in his head that they distracted him from the rest of the conversation about him being let go from his job. But he said, however, they let me know for certain that God was doing something. Didn't know what it was, didn't know what the future looked like, but I knew for certain my life would never, ever be the same. Because when God wants to bring you into something new, he first has to take you out of something old. And sometimes he has to drag you out, kicking and screaming. Now, that happened for me personally about seven and a half weeks ago when God sent a storm my way in the form of a severely strained knee and also in a recent diagnosis that I might be losing my ability to swallow properly and thus food and drink might be ending up in my lungs. And if that's true, I may no longer be able to eat normally instead having to receive my nourishment through a tube in my stomach. Let me say two of my favorite things are eating, I love it, and standing on my feet, on my stand-up paddleboard out in the ocean, riding waves. So faced with the possibility of losing these two things and having them taken away from me, God said, well, Bill, if I have your attention, I want you to be something new, something you've never been before. And that is to stop depending on yourself. Stop depending on what you like to do in your life for your deepest joy and for your ultimate fulfillment. Instead, I want to be that for you. And that was true. Surfing, eating, watching football, wanting to get a motorcycle, dreaming about this thing or that gadget pretty much took up most of the space in my happiness bin and fulfillment folder. Those things really became habitual in my thinking in reference to my life's joy and my meaning in life. And God said, excuse me, but I'm supposed to occupy that place. And he showed me in perhaps losing my ability to eat and to surf that indeed I could still be really happy and fulfilled and blessed in my life. Why? Well, he gave me these words. When I am in close, constant contact and continual connection with you, O God, I'm filled with blessings of love and joy and peace and fulfillment, period. Yet I couldn't really experience what God had to say by the fullness of that when I was tied to the dock, filled with all the foods I love to eat, riding on my carbon fiber board, watching every football game I could possibly squeeze in alongside with the dreams for my motorcycle and this gadget, the next thing, whatever that was. So now, every morning, I remind myself that letting go of all of that and letting go of my schedule for that day, saying, however, God, you want me to live today, I'm yours. And that's one of the biggest blessings and changes in my life. So I can personally testify to the fact of what Oswald Chambers said. Be careful never to look back at what you once were 
when God wants you to become something that you've never been. Because God, when he wants to bring you into something new, he first has to take you out of something old. And getting back to where Buddy Owens found himself in all this, sitting in the office of the president of his company, he just knew his life was never going to be the same again. Because God knew that Buddy would never, ever cut the rope tying him to the dock where he was. I mean, after all, why would he? Everything was going great. He was happy. He had a wonderful family, a nice job, a nice income, and a nice house that he was planning to rebuild. But Buddy was not about to cut the rope, and God knew that. But Buddy also knew deep in his heart there was something else God really wanted him to do that Buddy couldn't do where he was. And so Buddy wasn't going to leave on his own. So that day, September 16th, God sent a storm that sent him out to sea. And take a look at what God says in the Bible about storms. It's in the Old Testament book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, in the New King James says this, The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. But he confessed, there certainly were clouds on the horizon of my life, but I choose to believe they were the dust of God's feet, meaning that's where God was going. And I just decided I was going to follow him. I wasn't going to fight him. I wasn't going to argue with it. I was just going to go with him, follow him. Because I had learned long before that when you're in a crisis, the quickest way around that crisis is actually through it. And another verse he said he heard that day was Psalms 46.10 in the NIV, which says, be still and know that I am God. Very interestingly, I don't know if you know this, but that be still in that verse does not mean to be quiet. Rather, it means to calm down, to settle down. And in the throne room of God, it's been said there's a sign there based upon this verse, which says, no freaking out. That's what the verse means. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Simply calm down and know that I am God. Those words were in Buddy's head that day. But getting home, Buddy, of course, had to explain what happened to his wife. She was in the bedroom because all the rest of the house was torn down. That's all they had left. And she was reading a book. And Buddy finally got up the nerve to tell her what happened. And he said, life's about to get really interesting around here. She put her book down and says, what does that mean? So he told his wife what happened. But he also said, however, here's the thing. We know that we have been faithful to present this thing to God the whole time. We've been telling him, Lord, if you don't want this to happen, stop it. We've been presenting this thing to him for more than a year. So I know that he knew this thing was coming with my job. So we're not going to change anything in our plans. We're not going to cut back on the budget, not change the thing. We're moving straight ahead with our plan. Because at this point, but he said, it's not our problem. It's God's problem. So his wife says, are you worried? He said, what, me worry? No, I'm not worried. And she said, well, I'm not going to worry either. And she picked her book up and started reading again. Of course, a few moments later, Buddy noticed that her book was upside down. But for the next few weeks, Buddy said, I didn't ask God for a single thing. Instead, I just praised him for being my provider, praised him for being my counselor. I didn't ask him to take away my fears. Instead, I worshiped him as my comforter. And Buddy said for the next two months, he was doing a pretty good job of staying focused on the Lord and not worrying about things. But then one day, worry started creeping in. So he went to his dictionary to look up the word. And in this order, worry is defined in this way. The first definition is to strangle, to twist, to choke, to harass or treat roughly as with continual biting, tearing with teeth like a dog worrying a bone. Second definition said to pluck at, 
push on, touch repeatedly in a nervous or determined way, like worrying a loose tooth with your tongue. Thirdly, definition of worry is to annoy, bother, harass, causing feelings of trouble or uneasiness, and that's what worry is. And so does that describe you in any way today? Are you worried about something big or small? Has something got a grip on you in a strangling way, choking the life out of you? Are you up in the middle of the night? Is things flooding your mind? Well, many of us have something big or perhaps only small like that in our lives. But Jesus said this, as the video touched on earlier in Matthew 6 chapter, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So do not worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now notice it says in that scripture, look at the birds of the air. And although I know this verse really well, and I see birds all the time, I never put two and two together to actually look at them when I see them as daily reminders of God's love and faithfulness, which I do now, and I encourage you to do as well. But seeing in that way was never really a problem for Buddy Owens, who we're talking about today. He can cite time after time after time in tight or tough situations. He'd see a bird, be reminded of God's provision and God's faithfulness. As he likes to say, he's never seen a worried bird. And the truth is, worry itself for any of us is not really the issue. The real issue at hand is trust. And so what God is saying here is, do you trust me? Because worry is a decoy and worry is a distraction. Do you trust me? When God cuts us loose from the dock and lets a storm come upon our boat and pushes us out into a stormy sea, he's asking, do you trust me? So when it comes to trust, what does the word really mean? Trust means someone acting for you without fear of the outcome. So when God asks, do you trust me? Are you going to let God do what he wants to do and not be afraid? David, the author of Psalm 5611, the NIV, answers this way. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. So trust is someone acting for you without fearing the outcome. And here's the second meaning of trust. Biblically, trust means to run into a shelter. And so trust is not a passive thing. Trusting God is an active action. And that's why so often in the Psalms we see David saying just that. You, Lord, are my shelter, my stronghold, my fortress. In fact, Psalm 27, 5 in the NIV, David says, For in the day of trouble, God will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. So biblically, trust means to literally and actively run into God's shelter. Thirdly, trust means to rest your mind. Of course, one way we think of rest is what? Sleep. But rest can also mean leaning on something and trusting that that thing is going to hold you up. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5 in the NIV says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Key to our blocking worry is learning how to rest our minds. Thus, you need to make a decision. Am I going to let God do what he wants to do and not be afraid? Am I going to hide in him, run to him, hold on to him? Am I going to lean the weight of my life and my family, my world into God, the weight of everything onto God? Again, this verse says, trust God with all your heart. And notice it doesn't say to trust God with all your mind. 
And that's because trust is not a rational issue. It's a relational issue. It's a trust issue. You trust in the Lord. You do not trust in an idea. You trust a person. Trust is not rational. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all. So when you're facing something tough and you think, I really don't understand this, also add this thought. But I put my trust in you, God, as my defender, my comforter, my shelter, my shield, my safe place. Because trust is relational and not rational. Thus, remember all the times that you have seen God work, all the times he's spoken through circumstances we've observed in our own lives or in the lives of others. Remember all the things you've heard from him, from others, all the things you've read about him in his word. And the reason to do all that is to simply build, if you will, your own trust account. It's like putting money into your bank account. The more you put in, the more secure you are. Something comes up, you can draw upon it. It's the same thing in your trust account with God. The more you put in, the more secure you become. And when something comes up, you have someone to draw upon. As in, Lord, I don't get this, but I do get you. Back to our friends at Buddy Owens, who tore down half his home a week before he found out he was being laid off. And he dealt with it pretty well until the approach of the end of the year when his job would actually end. The date was December 16th, and he woke up like a worried bird. It was the day he was going to work, talk to the president of his company about severance. And now he was just two weeks away from that severance, and he had no idea what his future held. And so he didn't know what to say, what to think. He woke up with his head spinning, and he said he couldn't complete a sentence. He couldn't sit still because he was just frankly afraid. His imagination had taken off on him. What if they do this? What if they do that? What if they say this? How am I supposed to respond? His imagination was going crazy. He was in trouble. He knew it. And he couldn't walk into the meeting in the state of mind that he was in. So he cried out to the Lord. He said, God, you've got to help me, please. After a few moments, God brought a word of Scripture to him that he had memorized. It was from Isaiah 26.3 in the New King James Version, which said, You, God, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so, But he said that morning, man, I don't have perfect peace. And so he knew he wasn't trusting the Lord. Now, another way to look at this verse is if you want the perfect peace of God, then you've got to trust the God of perfect peace. You don't trust him, you won't be at peace. And the original Hebrew word for mind in this verse is not your rational, problem-solving mind, whose mind has stayed on you in that verse in the original Hebrew is talking about your imagination. What it's saying is it's your imagination that goes wild. It's your imagination that can keep you from thinking clearly. And Isaiah is basically saying, Take your imagination by the scruff of the neck and you bring it to the Lord. In fact, that's one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 in the NIV. We take captive every thought. and We make it obedient to Christ. So when your imagination is running wild with all kinds of fears and worries and what ifs, you bring those imaginations to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm submitting this whole thing to you. So quiet my imagination and my thoughts. Another way to look at this verse is when you fix your thoughts on God, God fixes your thoughts. So, but he didn't have peace that morning. He was going to talk about his severance. It would begin in two weeks. And he just knew he wasn't trusting God. And so he knew he had to do something immediately. So again, he poured it out to God, telling him all about how he felt. He said to the Lord, I'm in such trouble today. I am so worried. I'm so fearful. I'm realizing I'm not trusting you. I'm sorry. I need peace in my mind. 
and I know you love me, so I'm putting my trust in you. I'm leaning on you today. And as soon as he finished praying that, these words surprisingly came out of his mouth. Father, I need a bird today. And he kind of laughed thinking, that was funny. And so he gathered up his stuff. He's about ready to walk out the door. The phone rang. It was cross street neighbor, Nancy. She said, hey, buddy, have you got a minute? And he said, sure, I got a minute for Nancy. What are they going to do? Fire me if I'm late for my meeting? So he goes across the street to Nancy's house to see what she wanted to show him. She greeted him, led him to a chair in the back of the house right beside a window and said, sit here and watch. You're going to be amazed. She goes to the other side of the window, pulls out a peanut, puts it in her hand, starts making this weird chirpy calling sound. And so she's going on and on making this noise with this peanut in her hand. Time's going by, nothing's happened, but he has no idea what she's doing. And he realizes soon that he really might be late to his meeting that morning. But a few more minutes go by and a blue jay flew out of the trees, landed in her hand, takes the peanut and flies away. And she says, watch. She pulls another peanut out, making this weird chirpy calling sound. In a few more minutes, the blue jay comes back and takes the peanut out of her hand. Then he realized something. God said to him, you know, buddy, I can feed you two right out of my hand. If you'll just trust me, what are you worried about? So then Nancy waved for him to come outside, which he did. He said he wanted to tell her, but he couldn't really tell her all that was going on that morning and what had just happened in the house. And so she was laughing. She said, you know, I've been working on this bird for a year and a half, but it was only this week that he came to my hand. You've got to try this. And so Buddy said, okay, he put the peanut in his hand. She stood behind him making this weird, chirpy, calling noise. And Buddy says, you know, I don't really think this is going to work. Nancy said, hang on, hang on. And sure enough, after about five minutes, there was no bird. So Buddy said, Nancy, he's not coming. But right then the blue jay flew to a tree out in front of them. And he started staring at Buddy, holding that peanut. And Buddy said to Nancy, look at him. He's trying to make a decision. He's trying to decide if he trusts me. And that's when Buddy said, I got it, because I was looking at a living parable. That bird was me. He had flown nicely out of his feathered nest, and he was out on a limb looking for his next meal. And he was thinking, I recognize the voice, but I've never seen that hand. So Nancy kept making her noise. A couple more minutes go by, and then the blue jay came, landed on Buddy's hand, stared him in the eyes for a second, and took the peanut and flew away. And Buddy said, I got my bird that day. He still couldn't tell Nancy what it meant. All he could do was just laugh with her. And so Buddy left, goes back across the street to his house, feeling grateful and guilty. He said, I felt grateful because I had no doubt that God made it very clear he was involved. He was paying attention to me. He knew what I was going through. He was listening. But I felt guilty He had to put on such a huge production to get me to calm down. So he gets back to his house, tells his wife what happened, and she reminded him something he had taught before in a Sunday school lesson, which was God sees ahead of time and God provides ahead of time. And we can see it in the book of Genesis, like Adam being created on the sixth day, but it was the first five days when God created nearly everything that Adam was going to need before he even arrived on the scene. God did the same thing with Abraham when he thought he had to sacrifice his son Isaac. And just as he's lifting the knife, there's a ram appears in the thicket for that sacrifice. So Adam called that place, God will provide. Not God did provide or God provided, but God will provide. 
And that meant that God will see ahead to the need. That's exactly what Buddy learned that day. Because a year and a half earlier, Nancy said she started working on that bird when Buddy didn't know anything about it. So that a year and a half later, God knew that on December 16th, Buddy was going to be getting ready to head into his last two weeks of work, worried sick about the severance meeting. And after praying, Buddy would say, I need a bird today. So a year and a half earlier, God started answering Buddy's prayer before he even knew that he would have that need. You see, God's timing is magnificent. So the question I asked earlier, what are you worried about today? You might be losing sleep over something, but I'm going to tell you, based on the authority of God's word, he will not abandon you in your crisis. He's already started the process of answering your prayer. He started even before you realized you had the need. One more quick story before we go. It's about Mark Hall. He's the lead singer and songwriter for the Christian group Casting Crowns. He was in concert singing just two weeks before surgery to remove a cancerous kidney. As he was singing this line in the song, Voice of Truth, Oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of the boat I'm in. And he realized, although he had written that song and he'd sung it hundreds of times, he did not have that kind of faith. He was scared to death of his upcoming cancer surgery. Mark said, most of the songs that I write tell a story. They're about a real person or a real experience, except the next song he was about to sing, which was Just Be Held. He said he'd written it two years early. He was never really sure why he ever wrote it. The band started up, no time to think. He started singing the words. When you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone, stop holding on, just be held. And Mark said it was right then. It was like he heard those words for the very first time. He said, suddenly I knew who that song had been written for and why. God in his infinite wisdom had given it to me two years earlier, knowing how desperate I would be after my diagnosis and knowing that I couldn't hold it all together by myself. Rather, I needed to be held and he would hold me together. So just as God started preparing Buddy Owens, victory over worry that morning, the severance meeting through that bird, A full year and a half when his neighbor Nancy is starting to train the bird to land in her hand and then his. So too did God begin preparing Mark Hall for his victory over worry two years before his cancer surgery, giving him the song that he never knew why he wrote. Because it wasn't about any person or experience as the rest of his songs were. And so too as God did for Adam and for Abraham, and for you, and for me. God is out there way ahead of us, preparing in ways unseen by us to help calm and overcome our fears and our worries that will arise in our life long before they ever happen. In fact, Deuteronomy 3, 8 in the RSV says this, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So whatever worry or fear that you're facing in your life right now or in the future, know God already is out there ahead of you to help you overcome it. So I ask you to join me in prayer this week for my visit to the doctor to find out about my future ability to swallow and eat because God is already out there ahead of me about this. He's already out there ahead of you. So listen to these words from Mark Hall and Casting Crowns from his song, Just Be Held that God gave him two years before he needed it. Hold it all together, everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. 
And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, is freedom and surrender. Lay it down and let it go. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be here. Your world's not falling apart. It's So whatever fear or worry you're facing now or in the future, know God is already out there ahead of you to help you overcome it. Again, Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Because the Lord, in whatever it is, will meet you there. Will you pray with me? Great God, we just thank you so much for your word We thank you so much for all the times you show us just how much you do care for us. Help us this morning, Father, to receive your word and to see illustrated in the stories of these two men, Father, just how much you do care and how you are in front of us and all the things that are going to confront us in life. And so, Father, let us have that confidence. Let us, when we don't understand, to say, but I do get you, I do trust you in this, Lord. And help all of us, Father, through this to grow closer to you. And so we just thank you for your word and and your love. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.